We are in the seventh chapter of Revelation, and he has opened six of the seven seals. Uh, these seals are titled Deed to the Earth. So nearly all of uh, the scroll, the title Deed of the Earth, has been opened, but the very last seal um, is going to open up 14 more judgments. Uh, <clears throat> so we will anticipate those. But this week, uh, we take a bit of an interlude um, in the text. It breaks from the chronological order of the book of Revelation in order to answer a question that was posed during the sixth seal. <clears throat> so that uh, question from the sixth seal was the cry of the heathens that were perishing under the sixth seal. And that question was, um, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. So tonight we get to see who is able to stand uh, this wrath of the lamb, the tribulation from Jesus Christ. Uh, so our first section will be the 144,000 who are sealed. Um, and this is going to be Revelation 7 through 8. Those are the Jehovah Witnesses, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to tell you. Uh, all right, Kelly, uh, if you could read this for us. <laughs> After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. <clears throat> Excuse me. Saying, quote, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bond servants of our God on their foreheads. Thank you. <clears throat> Uh, so you all remember, uh, we are using a literal hermeneutic, a li literal uh, method of interpretation. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually going to take a very radical stance on this by taking a very literal stance on this. Uh, that this is, uh, these are literal angels, literal seal, and uh, literal 144,000 from Israel. Um, but first, we are going to look at uh, the angels in Revelation. Uh, Revelation, on top of giving us one of the most complete pictures of who Christ is, also gives us more information about the angelic realm than in the other book in Scripture. Uh, here in chapter 7, we've encountered four angels who hold back the four winds of the four corners of the earth. Uh, and that when they release those winds, judgment will come on the earth. And we see an angel rising uh, from the east uh, who has the seal of the living God, and he seals uh, the 144,000. We also have uh, an angel a little later on who has power over fire. So in Revelation 14, 18, it says, then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying, put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. And there's another angel spoken of in Revelation 16 verse five that has the power over water. 
it says, and I heard the angel of the waters saying, righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judged these things, for they poured out the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. So we see these uh, angels having uh, power over the natural world. This power is uh, power that is given to them by God, and he is using them uh, as a divine instrument for judgment, uh, both in restraint of judgment here in chapter 7, but also in uh, his dealing of judgment uh, later in, in chapter 8, chapter 14, and chapter 16. We see that. And another uh, point of issue in this text is the four corners of the world. Often this text is used by flat earthers to show that the Bible teaches a flat earth. Um, but that's not at all what scripture is saying. Again, we use a literal hermeneutic, so we interpret things literally. But that doesn't mean we blow through common conventions of speech, such as figurative language. Um, and this figure of speech is used continually throughout scripture, but it's never used um, to show any physical nature of the world, but uh, has more to do with the point of a compass. So in Isaiah 11, 12, uh, we see that all of Israel will be gathered from the four corners of the earth. Uh, Isaiah says, and he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, Israel has not been banished to the edges of a flat world, uh, but Israel has been banished to every nation on the earth in every direction. Uh, so we understand this to mean the whole world um, as far as one can go on the earth, uh, which essentially means all seven continents of the round earth. Uh, and this, uh, this is also consistent with language used of the millennial earth um, after the tribulation. So in Revelation 27 through 8, uh, John says, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. So we see again, it is correlated with nations uh, being spread out throughout the nations, nations which cover the whole world. Uh, and uh, it's often used as... Uh, indication of direction. So in Jeremiah 49, 36, uh, the prophet said, I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four ends of heaven and will scatter them to all these winds. And there will be no nation to which the outcasts of Elam will not go. So the four winds, speaking of four directions, and these na this uh, nation of Elam is cast out to all these nations. Uh, and Israel, again, uh, in the words of Jesus, uh, we're told that he will gather them from the four winds or from one end of the sky to the other. Um, and this is speaking of gathering Israel from the nations. So in Matthew 24, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give its light, will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. 
and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. And Robert Thomas, one of our favorite Greek exegetes, uh, says that these four corners, uh, which the four winds come from, uh, are not the standard way of looking at winds. Normally winds are either north, south, east, or west winds. In the Jewish mind, these speak of favorable winds. You have a north wind or a south wind. Uh, these are going to be good for directional travel if you're sailing. Uh, but a northeast wind or a northwest wind uh, or southeast, southwest, these were harmful uh, winds. So Revelation 7.1 speaks only of unfavorable winds. Those that when unleashed will bring harm to the earth. And that's consistent with what we'll see in chapter 7 or chapter 8 when those winds are released. Uh, we'll see the trumpets, judgments, uh, release uh, wrath on the world. And those coming judgments, which are trumpets, they are different in nature from the seals. So the seals, uh, which were opened, had a global effect. Uh, we saw in the first seal, global peace or global government. In the second seal, global war. In the third, a financial crisis leading to famine and rationing. In the fourth, uh, pandemics, but also suffering from that famine, which led to death. In the fifth seal, we saw Holocaust on believers. And in the sixth, we saw cosmic convulsions, which especially uh, attacked those, uh, those of all stations. Remember, we saw seven different uh, categories of mankind. Five of them were elites, and uh, the last two categories of mankind uh, covered all uh, basically insignificant mankind, uh, but insignificant from a human perspective. All life is significant to God. Uh, but the trumpet judgments, uh, they will be restrained in uh, sense. In the first trumpet, we'll see the earth, trees, and the grass burned, but only one-third of them are allowed to be burned. Uh, in the second trumpet, the sea will turn to blood. Uh, this happens when uh, a flaming mountain falls into the sea. Uh, of course, we're going to look at these more in detail when we go through chapter 8. Uh, but we see the earth, the trees, and the sea are affected by these trumpet judgments, but only up to one-third of them. Um, sea life and the ships are destroyed in the third uh, trumpet. The celestial light is dimmed by one-third. Uh, but then when we get to uh, the fifth trumpet, we see smoke and locust. And then in the sixth, we see fire, smoke, and brimstone. And these, uh, these last two trumpets will also be restrained. They'll be restrained from... Uh, from affecting those who have been sealed by the seal of the living God. So uh, the trumpet judgments are judgments which are restrained from their full potential. They could have killed everything, could have wiped out everything, uh, but they do specifically uh, affect those areas of the land which uh, the four angels who hold back the, uh, the four winds they're told not to harm earth, trees, or the sea. So we see that um, these are the judgments which they are being restrained from uh, unleashing.
And we're going to see, we see in chapter in verse two and three that another angel rises uh, from the east. Uh, he rises from the direction of the rising sun. Uh, this could be significant because John is on Patmos watching this uh, take place. He is in an ecstatic vision. So to the east of him would be Israel. It could be that this angel is rising from the land of Israel or from the direction of Israel. Uh, it's also notable that when God created Adam and Eve, um, he created the garden in the east and then placed them in that garden. Uh, but perhaps most significant uh, would be that the rising sun uh, rises in the morning, naturally, and we are promised the morning star. So in Revelation 22, 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Uh, and I thought I had one from Malachi chapter or verse three, I believe. Uh, let me get that. The son of righteousness is promised. Let me get that real quick here. Uh, chapter four, verse two of Malachi says, but for you, who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with the healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Uh, many different Bible students view this as uh, a future fulfillment or future applicational fulfillment um, of this angel rising from the east. Uh, essentially, all of these 144 are looking toward the east. They have their eyes on the east rising um, of the sun, uh, waiting for the son of righteousness, Jesus Christ. Uh, having their eyes facing towards the east is, uh, in figurative language, one way of saying they are awaiting Christ, uh, that they are themselves believers. Uh, in Peter's confession of Jesus Christ, he uses the term the living God. So in Matthew 16, Jesus says, or it says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So this seal of the living God, uh, it's not just the seal of God. Uh, what is the purpose of adding in this participle living? So in Deuteronomy 5.26, the first time we see this term uh, in scripture, he says, uh, who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Uh, so this is the Jewish people recounting the fact that they have heard the audible voice of God. They have proof that their God lives just as they live, um, that the five senses, or that he is able to be interpreted through the five senses. Uh, this theme continues throughout scripture in Psalm 115. 
we see that God is unique among the gods of mankind because he is living. Uh, so the psalmist says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. Uh, so these 144 being sealed by the seal of the living God are putting their faith in a God uh, who can make them alive rather than becoming like the idols of their own hands, uh, which ultimately lead to destruction. And we saw that uh, as well in the sixth, uh, in the sixth seal last week. Uh, this is also a seal of protection. In Revelation 9, 4, we see that uh, they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Uh, this is the, uh, the fifth trumpet, which is a plague of locusts that will come on the earth, and they are not allowed to hurt those who have this seal. In Revelation 9, uh, verse 4. This is similar to a soul which we see in Ezekiel's vision. Um, so in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 3 through 5, an angel comes and seals those who demonstrate uh, faith, uh, so experiential faith, uh, there in the city of Jerusalem uh, before the, uh, see, it would have been before the second exile, the exile of Judah, I believe. So it says, then the glory of the God of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been to the threshold of the temple, and he called to the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was the writing case. The Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. But to the others, he said in my hearing, Go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Uh, we could also think back to the Passover in Egypt before the, ex, uh, before the Exodus, where uh, the Jews painted their doorposts with blood. And this was a sign of the angel of death not to harm them, um, but on all whose doorpost was not painted red, the firstborn. Uh, was taken by the angel of death. So we see that this sign or this seal of protection uh, is, not, uh, is not unique in God's scripture that he does use this means to seal his anointed or to seal his uh, redeemed. Uh, a similar seal is spoken of for the Christian. This is the seal of redemption. So in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, uh, Paul says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Now, it's important to recognize that the angel is not sealing for salvation spiritually. 
Rather, he's sealing 144,000 who are already spiritually saved. Uh, this is not the moment of conversion for these 144,000, but rather a special seal of physical protection, uh, similar to what we saw in Exodus or in Ezekiel's vision, on those who already have faith and are demonstrating their faith. Another similar seal will appear later on in Revelation 13, but this is a counterfeit seal. Um, we've already discussed multiple times how Satan is counterfeiter. Um, he is not very creative. I think there's a creative bone in his body. Um, so once again, he is copying God's manner of organizing his household. And Satan organizes his own household in a similar way. Um, but rather than with a benevolent purpose, with a malevolent purpose. So rather than protecting uh, the sealed, this, yeah, the seal is using his seal to punish the unsealed um, specifically. So we, in Revelation 13, we see, and he causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he proved, uh, provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. So this uh, mark of the beast, which I think most of us might be the first thing on our minds when we think of the book of Revelation, uh, it actually is a knockoff and a very cheap one at that of the seal, um, which the 144,000 were received from the angel. Um, who God sends to seal them. All right. Kelly, could you read verses four through eight? Actually, could you read just verse four for us? And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Thank you. So I'm not going to make you read the 12 tribes, but each tribe that's listed, uh, it says that 12,000 from each of those tribes are list are, are uh, being sealed. Uh, so the or John himself heard the number. Uh, the number which he heard were all sealed, and the number was specifically 144,000. Uh, now, I can't remember who. I think it might be Robert Thomas. Uh, has noted that not one number in the book of Revelation can verifiably be uh, confirmed as figurative. Uh, in fact, we can make every single number uh, mean exactly what it means and not do any damage to the book of Revelation, what it means, but the opposite can't be true. Uh, we can't make every number figurative and have it uh, maintain any semblance of sense. Uh, but also, John is very capable of telling us when his number is not, uh, when his number is not a specific number. For example, um, in the second half of this chapter, we're going to encounter a great multitude. So John is capable of using non-numerical uh, quantifiers when he intends to use a non-numerical quantifier. So we see a number like 144,000, and we see each tribe specifically noted as 12,000. Uh, there's no way to be clearer 
that it's literal, but there are plenty of ways to indicate that it would be figurative were it figurative. So we're going to take this as a literal 144,000 and a literal 12 tribes with a literal 12,000 from each tribe. Uh, and that gets a little tricky, uh, not for God, but for the mind of man, because 10 of those tribes uh, were lost in 70 AD. But uh, we have to remember that they are lost to us, but they are not lost to God. That if God says he will bring them back in the last days, um, then he's perfectly capable of doing that. Uh, if you recall, all of mankind began from two individuals. And um, after the flood, all of mankind restarted from only eight individuals. God is perfectly capable of maintaining a remnant uh, for his purposes. And we see proof that he has done so. And that although they are not, from a human sense, able to identify uh, who the 10 tribes are, or we still have, uh, I think we still have a good sense of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, there are still a, a semblance of ability to trace those, but the other 10 tribes were lost. Uh, and I guess that brings up the good point that uh, there are 13 tribes but only 12 are ever noted. So we're going to talk about that because uh, two of the tribes, Dan and Ephraim, are not listed uh, in this series uh, in Revelation. So uh, that's probably the most common criticism of this passage, that Dan is missing, Ephraim is missing. So we're going to look at that. Uh, John Walver says about this, that much speculation has arisen about why the tribe of Dan is omitted. Joseph and one of his sons, Manasseh, are listed, but Ephraim, Joseph's other son, is omitted. Thus, if Dan were included, there would have been 13 tribes. According to J.B. Smith, scripture contains 29 lists of the tribes of Israel in the Old and New Testaments, and in no case are more than 12 tribes mentioned. The tribe omitted was usually Levi, from which the priesthood came. Uh, and that, of course, brings up another point. Uh, why is the tribe of Levi included in this list when it's usually omitted? Now, of the 29 lists of the tribes of Israel in scripture, 19 of them um, are different. So that means that there are 10 which match another list somewhere that are given in the same order. But uh, the order of tribes here in uh, listed in Revelation is a unique order. Nowhere else in the 19 various orders of the tribes is it listed in this manner. Uh, in fact, let me go back and just show you, essentially, uh, Judah here was the fourth son of Abraham, and he's listed first. Uh, other than that, uh, Ad, Asher, and Naphtali, and... Yeah, these were not from Rachel or Leah. These were from handmaids. And then Manasseh and Simeon, Benjamin and Joseph. Those were all from Rachel and, Rachel and Leah. But Ikar, I believe, was also from one of the handmaids. Um, so the order doesn't follow the order of birth. It's not organized by Leah's children, Rachel's children. Uh, or the handmaid's children. Uh, 
in fact, I, I honestly just didn't have time to go through and see if there was any reason besides Judah is, is um, in the line of Christ and it says the scepter will never pass from Judah. I think that's probably a good reason why Judah is listed first, but I didn't, uh, I didn't spend too much time on the four of the others because I spent my time on Levi, Dan, and Ephraim. Um, but I think the most important thing to grasp here when we are looking at this 12 is that uh, the list is not about inheritance. The list uh, of these 12 tribes is not talking about their eternal inheritance. Rather, it's talking about their function and service in the tribulation. So I think if we keep that clearly in mind, it won't be too confusing um, as we look into Dan and Ephraim and also Levi. Um, but here, Charles Ryrie says, these are Jews from the 12 tribes, 12,000 of each, who are protected in order to perform some service for God during these days. Perhaps they are evangelists. Now, we'll look at the evidence for them being evangelists when we get to the next section, verses 9 through 17. Um, so for now, take it that uh, it's quite probable the function of these 144,000 is to preach the gospel of the kingdom through all the world. Um, so then, uh, Levi's lack of inheritance, Levi was not promised an inheritance in the land of Israel like the other tribes were. Only 12 tribes were promised an inheritance. So whenever uh, they are speaking of inheritance, Levi's name is naturally left out. So the inclusion of Levi's name in this list is yet another reason why it's clear this list is not speaking about inheritance. Uh, in Deuteronomy 18, 1 through 2, uh, Moses writes, The Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's offerings by fire and his portion. They shall have no inheritance among the countrymen. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. In Genesis 48, 5 through 6, we see the reason why there are uh, 13 tribes. So Moses again writes, now your two sons who were born to you, this is speaking to <coughs> Joseph, the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that you have, that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. So in speaking of the inheritance, the brothers of Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, who are the sons of Joseph, come under the inheritance of Ephraim and Manasseh. But here, not speaking of inheritance in the book of Revelation, but in function, Manasseh is listed and Ephraim is not listed. Uh, in, instead, Joseph's name is put in place of Ephraim. And that's probably because Manasseh would stand for Manasseh and his children, but the name of Joseph was substituted for Ephraim, not for Ephraim's children, but for the other children of Joseph who were not Ephraim's. Um, I do think this is a total omission of the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Dan. Uh, one possibility is that it does include Ephraim under Joseph, but in order to not use the name Ephraim. Um, Joseph's name was substituted so that it would be Ephraim's children and all of Joseph's other children. 
the reason why some think that Ephraim's name only was omitted was because Ephraim was constantly involved with idolatry. Um, and uh, even in some places came against his brothers. Um, so I, I, I just don't think there's enough um, difference between Ephraim and Dan's sins to include Ephraim and maintain the omission of Dan, I think Ephraim and his children, and Dan and his children are excluded from this function during the tribulation. Uh, so that brings us to Dan. Um, Dan's inheritance is listed first in the millennial allotments of Israel, detailed in Ezekiel 48. So in Ezekiel 48, uh, we get the 12 tribes listed uh, in terms of their inheritance. And oddly enough, Dan's name is actually listed first. So we do know that in the millennial land, Dan will receive an inheritance even though he is not used as one of the 144,000 of Israel. Ephraim also receives her allotment, and Levi is rightly omitted from this Ezekiel 48 inheritance. Uh, so here we get to the reason why are Dan and Ephraim omitted. Um, in Deuteronomy 29, 18 through 19, God warns the children of Israel about the consequences of going after other gods when they enter the land of Canaan. So in, uh, in verse 18, he says, so that there will not be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations, that there will not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. It shall be when he hears the words of this curse he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. And he continues, the Lord shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man. And every curse which is written in this book will rest on him. And the Lord will not, or the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Then the Lord will single him out for adversity from all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant which are written in this book of the law. So he comes under the curses of the covenant, which um, excludes him from um, enjoyment of the promise of the Abrahamic covenant on earth, um, even though he will receive those in the millennial kingdom. So until Christ's return, Dan and Ephraim have been excluded um, from functioning as Israel. In, um, we see the moment in which they incur this judgment um, all the way back in 1 Kings. Uh, so this would be right after the uh, vision of the two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. So in 1 Kings 12, we read of Jeroboam's idolatry. It says, then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. 
Jeroboam was one of the Israeli kings um, who was not part of the house of David when uh, Judah continued to follow David and the rest of Israel broke off and followed um, a northern king, Jeroboam, built uh, another place for them to sacrifice so that Israel, the ten tribes of Israel, did not have to go down to Judah um, to sacrifice at, uh, in Jerusalem. So we see the result of this um, in the next verses. So the king consulted and made two golden calves. And he said to them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. So Dan and Bethel, Bethel was located in the land of Ephraim. Uh, in these places, two golden calves were set up for the people of Israel to come and, um, and sacrifice. And this harkens all the way back to Exodus um, when Aaron built the golden calf for the children of Israel. Uh, and remember that generation was not allowed to enter uh, the land. They were caused to die out before their children would enter. So Dan and Ephraim, um, committing a very similar sin under King Jeroboam, um, have been excluded from this uh, service of the Lord during the tribulation period. So in summation for the 144,000, they are Jewish evangelists. God will seal 144,000 men of Israel for a special service to him. Number the tribes and the seals are all literal. The sealed evangelists are protected from the wrath of the lamb, but not necessarily protected from the wrath of Satan. All right, so next we have the great multitude. This is the second half of chapter seven. Uh, and this is going to be a distinct people group from the 144,000. I think this picture captures it rather well. We've got the 12 tribes, 12,000. Hey, I'm sorry to ask a question, McKenna. No, go for it. Okay, so in summary of all the stuff that you were just talking about, about Levi and Dan, Levi yeah. was, though, part of the 12, right? And so part of the 144 are coming from the tribe of Levi. Yes, 12,000 do come from the tribe of Levi because this list is not about their inheritance in the land. Yep, it's about, it's the about their service to the Lord. Okay, so in your slide where you said, if you go up just a couple, you said, why Levi? Um, I'm, I'm confused on... Um, maybe the point of Levi, because Levi does have, even though they're not receiving inheritance, the Lord is their, is their inheritance, but they are part of the 12 and they're having 12 come from their tribe. Mm -hmm. So why is it that, um, I'm kind of curious because, you know, Levi's name, our son is named after Levi. So I'm, I'm just trying to tie oh. this in with uh, just a curiosity point. I, I don't understand what your point is about Levi, like why you're saying why Levi in the slide that's beyond this where you talk about Levi, Dan, and Ephraim, I think it was. Go up, go up one more. Mm, here. Nope, one more. One more? Mm -hmm. 
were you were you asked the questions? Um, oh, I think that was back here. The one that says why Levi. Oh, that we passed it. That was there you go. Why is Levi here? Okay. So your your whole okay. your whole point yeah. in this you're saying why is Levi here and the answer is because they don't have an inheritance but because of their service they are going to yeah. be part of the twelve. Yeah. So whenever inheritance in the land of Israel is uh, the purpose of the the list, Levi is omitted. Uh, so a lot of people, in fact, I, I didn't find a single commentarist out there who specifically said that this list is not about inheritance. Um, so that's why I wanted to really stress this point um, in our study, because a lot of people look at this and substitute Israel for the church and say that this is the church. And because Dan is missing and because Ephraim is missing, we're supposed to take this non-literally. Um, if it were meant to be literal, it would have listed the 12 tribes as they are in the Old Testament. Well, the reason it's not matching the names exactly of the Old Testament isn't because we have to um, disregard all of what is literally said here. It's because it serves a different purpose or a different function. They're listed not to show their inheritance in the millennium. They're listed in order to show their service to God. Levi, uh, they're, they're characterized entirely by their service. Uh, so I think it's very fitting that they are present in this list. Um, but many people have brought up, uh, I think, confusing this list as an inheritance list. Why is Levi here when he's usually omitted? Uh, and they think perhaps Dan was bumped off the list uh, because they counted him up and realized they had 13 and erased Dan. I, I don't think that's a very good uh, a very good reason to remove Dan. I think it's it's telling that Ephraim's name and Dan are both missing, and those were constantly uh, constantly falling into idolatry and even separating themselves from Israel and and uh, moving up to uh, Tyre and Sidon. In fact, I, I can't remember if it's Dan, I think it's Dan, um, was the only tribe which never succeeded in conquering the land that they were told to conquer either. Um, if you uh, look in Jeremiah 8, oh, I can't remember the verse, but in Jeremiah 8, uh, it speaks of, um, I don't remember if it's Dan or Ephraim, but one of these tribes as um, basically destroying his brothers and in Genesis 49, when Israel gives his prophecy of the 12 tribes, he says that Dan is a snake in the path, uh, aligning him with some satanic imagery. Some people have postulated that perhaps the false prophet comes out of the tribe of Dan uh, because of some of these, these prophecies. I, I think it's more along the lines of his past function in drawing Israel into idolatry, uh, not his future function in the in the tribulation, especially since his name is nowhere mentioned um, in the tribulation portion of Revelation. So, uh, no, I, I think it has all to do with their past, um, their past failures, their past rebellion against God, uh, and the covenants which they are responsible to. And Levi is presented here because this is a list of service, not a list of inheritance. So, uh, it's natural that Levi would be in this list. Okay, I got you. I'm sorry I was confused for a second.
No, that's good. I'm, I'm sure someone else probably would have that question as well. So it's, it's always helpful if you guys have a question, interrupt me because uh, the point is understanding, not getting the slides. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool, thanks. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Thank you.